quiet. Yeah? A bit quiet this morning. I want to I do a message for you this morning called The Inverted Gospel. And um, I hope that it really speaks to you. I hope that it encourages you. There's going to be some ouch moments throughout this morning's message, but that's okay. Because how many people know we need ouches? Come on, talk to me. You know, get in the way of being quiet this morning. And uh, the more you talk to me and celebrate with me how good the message is, the better I preach and the faster I go. And uh, so the sooner you can get to lunch. All right? I'll do you a deal. No, what's wrong with you this morning? All right. Is it because it's the end of the school holidays? How many parents are happy kids going back to school tomorrow? Put your hand up. If you're really excited about your kids going back to school tomorrow, awesome. Put your hand up if you're a teacher and you're really excited about the kids coming back to school tomorrow. What's wrong with the Jacobs? They never put their hand up. They just don't seem to be excited about it. And uh, let's get into this this morning. You know, in the 16th century, there was an uh, astronomer and his name was Nicholas, and I may not get this right, but you don't know, so I don't know, so it's going to sound right. And it's Corpineus, Nicholas Corpineus. And he challenged the belief that the earth was the center of the universe. Because up until then, everyone believed that the earth was the center of the universe and everything evolved around the earth. And so he argued that the sun didn't revolve around the earth, but rather that the earth revolved around the sun. And it became known as the uh, Copernican Revolution. And it turned the scientific world upside down by turning the universe inside out. So he decided that the earth wasn't the center of the universe and everything revolved around it, but actually the sun was the center and the earth and everything revolved around it. And it had this revolutionary effect in the scientific world, which turned it upside down, but also turned the universe inside out. It came from a completely different perspective. He inverted what they had always believed and it had become something else. And, you know, as I was reading about that, I think we all need to have that kind of revolution, don't we? We all need to have a paradigm shift that happens when we come to terms with the fact that the world doesn't evolve around us. I thought I would have got some amens from parents with teenagers. You know, we're all born into this world where the world actually does revolve around us, yes? When you're born, the world revolves around you. Everything's about you. You know, you're spoon-fed, people change your nappy for you, they bath you, they do everything for you. I, I would kind of like to return to some of that except for maybe the nappy changing, bathing, I can do that myself. But as far as somebody feeding me and looking after me and taking care of me, waiting on me hand and foot, that sounds like a pretty good life to me. How many people want that kind of a life? We're spoon fed, we're nappy change and, and, and we, when we're first born it's as if the whole entire world actually does exist to meet my every need. The whole entire world exists. I mean, I can remember um, my beautiful daughter Madison is turning 18 tomorrow and life goes very, very quickly with your kids, don't they? They grow real fast. But I can remember when she was about, you know, when she was little and, and as a baby, you know, six, seven, eight months old, it's, you get up in the middle of the night to feed her and she'd drink a whole bottle like, like that and it would disappear within moments. And then she decided she'd want more and just straight away, no hesitation, not waiting for that bottle to settle and see whether she needs more. It had just been until, <coughs> until you got the next bottle. By the time you got the next one sorted, 
the first one had settled, and so the second one would just be, and she had enough. But in her mind, at that age, she wanted more. And so because she wanted more, she wanted it now. How many people know that life can sometimes be a little bit like that, where you think the world evolves around you, and that you need it, and you need it now. I mean, we live in a society, don't we, where we go through a McDonald's drive-thru, and it's like that'll be a, a 10-second wait on your fries, and it's like, oh. Now, living like that and having a mentality like that is really cool when you're nine weeks old, but it's not cool when you're 22. Thinking the world evolves around you when you're nine weeks old is okay, but when you're 22, 34, or 45, if you think that the world evolves around you, you've got a real problem because I have a new flash for you. The world is, you are not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the universe. You and I are not the center of the universe. The world does not evolve around you. And here's the thing. When we have that mentality that we think that we're the center of the universe, really we are ultimately really operating in a sinful attitude because sin at its core, sinfulness at its core, is basically selfishness. Sinfulness at its core is basically selfishness. We just, we want what we want. It's about enthroning yourself on the throne of your life, and it's about your desires, it's about your needs, it's about your plans above all else. Trinity and I have this conversation quite often where she says to me, honey, it's not all about you. And I have to explain to her that it actually is all about me, always has always been about me, and always will be about me. But she doesn't understand. I don't know why. She keeps on challenging that precept. And see, so what happens is we can get to this place where we actually enthrone ourselves and we start doing this Christian walk where it's actually about our desires. It's about our needs. It's about our wants. It's about what we want. Yeah? And so when somebody says, can you come and help out? No, I don't want to do that. That's not really my cup of tea. But when it comes to the kingdom, it's not about your wants and your needs. It's about his wants and his needs. And we need to have this paradigm shift. We need to have an inverted gospel shift. We need to understand that we've forgotten some things because you may still seek God, but if I was really honest with myself, I've gone through periods in my life and you'll go through periods in your life where you may still seek God, but you don't seek Him first. We seek Him second or third or fourth or seventh. It's actually a subtle form of selfishness that masquerades itself as spirituality, but the problem is this, is that it, you know it's not spiritual because it's me-centered and not Christ-centered. It's me-centered and it's not Christ-centered, so I'm going to fast because I need God to do this for me. It's not a Christ-centered fast, it's a me-centered fast. Are you here with me this morning? I'm going to pray like nothing this week because I need God to do this and this and this for me. It's a me-centered prayer. You can always tell if you're praying selfishly because you just have to ask yourself, if God answered my prayers, how much of my world would, how much of the world would be affected by it compared to me? See, if we pray prayers that are all about us, then we're neglecting all of them out there. Are you with me this morning? And then it becomes less about serving his purposes and more about him serving our purposes. And I call that an inverted gospel. And I must admit, 
if I'm really honest with myself, I reckon I've spent half my Christian life following his purposes and half my Christian life asking him to follow my purposes. I think if we're really honest with ourselves when we first come to Christ, we would probably think that we believe that we're following Jesus, but the reality is is that we've invited Jesus to follow us. I think when we first come to Christ, we're genuine. I think that we are genuine in, in wanting to follow Jesus. And if Rimmer was Jesus this morning, we would genuinely want to follow Jesus when we first get saved. So I'm just following Jesus. When I first get saved, I'll follow Jesus and I'll go anywhere he goes because I'm so grateful for his salvation. I'm so grateful for what he's done for me. But I think there comes a point where we go, no, 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 Jesus Jesus, no, Jesus, my, my wants are over here, so you can come follow Jesus, you can come follow Jesus, and sit down there, you're too much of a rascal. But don't you think that's true? Don't you think that we all do that? Where we, where we follow him, and then after a while, I think we get a little bit uh, comfortable with him, familiar with him, familiarity breeds contempt, and then all of a sudden, it's like, actually, Jesus, you need to come follow me, because I have this need, over here and I have this desire over here and if I'm following you over there it's not meeting this one over here you don't understand I, I get that you want you want the world to be transformed I get that you want the community to be transformed but before we get into that can you just come over here and sort out this for me please and we kid ourselves and that we say that we're following Jesus but in reality we're actually asking him to follow us we call him savior but we never really surrender to him as lord I know this is not very nice this morning and maybe a little bit touchy this morning, but I think it's a true concept and I think it's a true thing about where the church worldwide is today. I think that we have made a mistake somewhere in preaching the gospel in the last probably decade where we've made it all about come to Jesus and he'll fix this and he'll do that and he'll do that and he will. He will God will transform your life, but he transforms it by you following him, not by him following you. And if I'm honest, like I said before, I've wanted Jesus to follow me and I wanted Jesus to serve my purposes and Jesus to serve my will and do my will. But I realized something after a while, when I take charge, when I enthrone myself, then, then I'm the one that's calling all the shots. And so what happens is, is now I'm playing God and so everything about my life is relying on me making the right decisions. Now I'm carrying the weight of everything. And I don't know about you, but I, I've discovered in playing God and putting myself first, it's really exhausting. Life is really exhausting when Jesus isn't leading it. When you're having to carry everything, the weight of the world sits upon your shoulders. And when you're having to carry everything, it's hard work. It's exhausting work. Yet Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because what they used to do with the oxen when they were little is they would, they, the, the, they would um, put it with the older oxen so they would link it up but the older oxen pulled the, pulled the plow and did all the hard work and all the young oxen did was just yoked to it walking beside it not pulling anything and, and that's the picture of what Jesus is trying to say in our lives is when we follow him when we yoke ourselves to him he does all the hard work and we just walk beside him therefore his yoke is easy and his burden is light but when we disyoke from him and when we decide that he should follow us, we switch positions and now I'm doing the hard work and he's just walking beside me doing nothing. 
And not because he doesn't want to, but because I don't allow him to. Because now it's become about me instead of about him. And I find it exhausting. And so I have decided, and I try to do this all the time, but I don't necessarily always get it right, but I've decided to seek God first. I've decided to make Him first in my life, and first in every part of my life. First in my marriage, first in my parenting, first in my finances, first in what I do. And then what I've discovered is that the true adventure of following Jesus actually doesn't happen until I go all in. The adventure of following Him, the great stuff that that God does in my life doesn't actually happen until I am all in, like 100% in. 100% now, I'm yoked to you. I don't know where we're going. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, He's driving. I'm the passenger. I don't know where we're going, but the adventure starts. And the adventure starts and that it takes me to people's lives where I'm able to speak to them about Jesus and then we see a transformation. Or he takes me to Fiji where we pray for people that, are, that, that, that had all sorts of problems and God healed them and someone had a blind eye got healed while we were there and other things that happened while we were there and, and Jesus takes you on that adventure. But, but if I'm not following Jesus, then I don't get to go on that adventure. If I've got Jesus following me, the only adventure we go on is my selfish desire journey. And then I never get to see the joy and the pleasure of seeing somebody else's life transform because it becomes all about me. And so I decided to put God first and and the true adventure begins when we go all in. And it's actually the day where I decided to stop asking Jesus to follow me and I decided that I would follow him. So let me ask you a question this morning. If you're really honest with yourself this morning, who's following who? If you're really honest with yourself this morning, who's following who? Are you following him or have you got him following you? I really want you to be honest with yourself this morning because I believe that this is not a message to to condemn you, but you're actually going to discover as you go through this that there's actually a way that we can free ourselves from the weight of trying to run our own lives. You see, the inverted gospel is when you have brought in, but you haven't sold out. Oh man, I've seen, I've seen lots of Christians, including myself over the year, where we've brought into Jesus, but we've not really sold ourselves out for Jesus. Come on, let's just be honest this morning, yeah? We all do that. We buy into certain things about the kingdom, we buy into certain things about the gospel, but then there are other parts that we don't like, so we just... We just don't buy into them. We just buy into that. But it's not about what we buy into. It's about being sold out, yes? Jesus didn't half die on the cross. He fully died on the cross. It's all in. It's about being sold out. And the great thing for you and the great thing for me and the great thing for the person sitting beside you is this, is that you're only one decision away from a totally different life. You're only one decision away from a totally different life. Now, friend, don't get me wrong. Of course, it's probably going to be the most difficult decision you'll ever make to turn around and say, you know what? I'm going to go all in, sold out, follow him and stop getting him to follow me. It's probably going to be the most difficult decision you'll ever make in your life because now all the control is out of your hands and all the control is in his hands. 
And every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, at our root core, we're control freaks and we like to control our own lives. But the Bible says it's not how we live when we're following Christ. For my life is not my own, but it's been brought with a price. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Are you hearing me this morning? And I believe this wholeheartedly, that the world is yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by a life of a person who is fully and wholly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's only really one mention of what happens in Scripture when people are like that. It says of the disciples, the early disciples, it says this in the book of Acts, that they turned the world upside down for Jesus. Twelve people turned the world upside down because they were fully sold out, or as the Bible would say, consecrated, 100% consecrated to Him, to Jesus, sold out, following Him, not following me, everything, all in, full trust, following Him. And the Bible says that those 12 turned the world upside down for Jesus. And any time that God is about to do something amazing in our lives, any time that God wants to do something amazing in our lives, He calls us to a consecration of ourselves to Him first. In Joshua 3.5, it says this, before they went into the promised land, He says to Joshua, consecrate yourselves. Everyone say, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, I, the Lord, will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, for I, the Lord, will tomorrow do amazing things among you. I, I think sometimes where we get this wrong a little bit, and I include myself in this, is that we say things like, I want to do amazing things for God. I want to do amazing things, and so we, so we try to do these amazing things for God, not understanding that the amazing things is His job. Are you with me this morning? The amazing things is His job. He says, consecrate yourselves, and then tomorrow I will do amazing things among you. I think sometimes we get it around the wrong way, and we say, God, if you would consecrate you, yourself to me, then I'll do amazing things for you. But the Bible says, no, 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 this is not how it works. How it works is God does the amazing and we do the consecration. We do the consecrating and He does the amazing. I don't know about you, but I would far rather do the consecrating than have the pressure of the amazing. Because the consecrating basically means this, to set myself apart for Jesus. To really be, means this, to be full in, sold out, 100%. Following Jesus with my whole life, my whole heart, every part of me. If I do that, then He does amazing things. And so I've had to ask myself this week, how often have I tried to do the amazing things and ask God to get Himself consecrated to me? You, you understand what I'm saying? It's like we, we say we're following Him, but most of the time we ask Him to follow us. And, and fix our stuff and sort out our stuff. But he said, no, no, no. If you would just set yourself apart for me, if you go 100% for me, if you just set your life apart for me and say, you're the king, you're the Lord, I trust you. I put my whole life into you. He goes, then watch out, because I'm going to do amazing things among you. You see, he does the amazing, we do the consecrating. 
We want to do amazing things for him, and it seems noble, but it's the wrong way the gospel works. It's backwards. God does the amazing thing for us. It's his job, not, his, not our job. Our job is the consecration thing. And the Bible says this, that if we do our job, that he'll do his job. And I've had to ask myself this week, how often has God not been able to do the amazing things that he wants to do in my world because I haven't done the consecration? I haven't done my bit. And he wants to desperately, but he can't. And let me explain to you before we go any further what consecration isn't. Because I think we have a wrong understanding about what consecration is. And it might be the first time you've ever heard that word consecration in church, but it literally means in the Hebrew and in the Greek to be set apart. But let me explain to you what it is. And it's not going to church every week. It's not doing daily devotions every day. It's not fasting. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not sharing your faith with your friends. It's not giving God the whole tithe. It's not repeating the sinner's prayer. It's not volunteering or serving. It's not leading a small group. It's not raising your hands in worship. And it's not going on a missions trip. And all those things are really good things and they're all things that we should do. But that is not consecration. That's more like a behavior modification, a conformity to a moral code. But it's more than doing good deeds. Consecration is more than what we do. It's a, it's a deeper, something truer. It, it's, a, it's a setting myself apart. It's taking me and going, I am going to set myself apart just for him. It's, it's a little bit like, this is the best illustration I could come up with, but it's not a good one. It's like the day I got married to Trinity and I said, this part of my life, my sexual side of my life is set apart for just you from now on and nobody else. That's what it means. It's set ourselves apart so that I am here for your use and nobody else. Nobody else gets to work through my life, just you. Nobody else gets to dictate how I live, just you. I've set myself, I've consecrated myself. It's not about being holy, it's about setting ourselves aside for Him, which means that it demands full devotion. And I was at a conference this week on Thursday, and, and Adam White, who's the leader of the New Life Churches in New Zealand, said this, in the early church there was no follow-up program but 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. So how did they keep the 3,000 people saved? And the Bible says that hundreds were added to them daily. How did they keep all these people that were getting saved? What sort of pastoral care system did they have? They had none. Why? Because the Bible says that they devoted themselves. Does it say that the apostles and the deacons devoted themselves to carry you through life so you could have a walk with Jesus. No, it says that they, they made a decision, they devoted themselves, they consecrated themselves, they set themselves apart, not anybody else. I can't grow you, only you can grow you. I can't change your life, only you can change your life. I can challenge you to change, I, I can hopefully inspire you to change and motivate you to change, but I can't change you. Only you can change you. And the only way you change you is by making a decision that says, actually, I'm going to set apart my life for Jesus first. 
I can't fix your marriage, but God can if you'd set yourself apart for Him first. I can't save your kids, but God can if you'd set yourself apart for Him first. I can't help you with your finances and get you out of debt, but if you'd set yourself apart from Him first and follow what He says to do, then friend, you'll get breakthrough every time. Why? Because He says this, if you would consecrate yourself then I'll do amazing things. You see, the thing about amazing things is that it starts with consecration. Amazing things always starts with consecration and consecration always ends with amazing things. Amazing things always start with a setting apart and a setting apart always ends with amazing things. It's a full devotion to Him. It's a dethroning of ourselves and an enthroning of Jesus. It's, it's giving God veto power over everything in our lives. It's surrendering all of who you are to Him. It's an ever-deepening love for Jesus and a, and a blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. Consecration is going all in and all out for the all of all things. It's 100%. It's not holding back in any way. And my greatest concern, I must admit, as a pastor of a church, and not just about this church, but of all churches, is that we can go to church every week of our lives and never go all in for Jesus. We can turn up and, yep, went to church, tick, lifted my hands and worship, tick, spoke in tongues this week, big tick, gave in the offering, another tick, but that doesn't make you all in. Those are all good things that you can do, but it doesn't make you all in. We can follow rules, but never actually follow Christ. And I'm afraid as a pastor that in some way, in the last 10 or 20 years, especially when I think about some of the messages I used to preach as a youth pastor, I have this sense that maybe, maybe, we have cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out their lives. If you just say this prayer, repeat it after me. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But God doesn't want some of your life. He wants all of your life. And when we go all in for him, he goes all out for us. How do I get God to do stuff in my world? How do I get God to do amazing things? How do I get God to move in my marriage? How do I get God to move in my finances? How do I get God to move in the health of my body? How do I get God to move in my family? Consecrate yourselves. And I'll do amazing things. Consecrate. And I'll do amazing things. Consecration is the catalyst behind every spiritual growth, every kingdom cause, and every revival that's ever been on the face of the planet. If you read the history of every revival, there was a consecration before there was a revival. There was a set it apart before God did amazing things. You see, a century ago, there was a, a band of brave missionaries, and if I can just get the musicians and singers to come, that'll be fantastic. A century ago, there was a band of brave missionaries known as One Way. They used to call them One Way Missionaries. One Way Missionaries, they were called. 
because they would only purchase a one-way ticket to the mission field that they were going to. And what they used to do is they'd purchase a one-way ticket because they knew they weren't coming back. They'd purchase a one-way ticket to the place that they're going to, but on top of that, they didn't pack suitcases. They packed coffins. So instead of getting a suitcase to pack their clothes into and all their worldly goods, they'll go and buy a coffin and they'll pack all their worldly goods and their, suit, and their clothes and everything into the coffin, buy themselves a one-way ticket and go to the mission field. Unless they wave goodbye to family and friends, they would know that they wouldn't be back. And One of these one-way missionaries was a man by the name of A.W. Milne. And he was one of those missionaries and when he left, he was heading to a place called New Hebrides. Now, every single person that had gone to New Hebrides before him as a missionary, every single one of them had been killed, had been martyred and eaten by the people that lived there. When he was asked, he said he didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. He said, my coffin is packed. He went over there to the New Hebrides and ended up living with the tribe for 35 years. And he died and they inscribed on the tombstone these words over his life. It said, when he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. I find that so challenging. It's when did we start to believe that God wants to send us to a safe place to do easy things? That faithfulness was about holding the fort until Jesus came back, that playing it safe is safe, that there is no greater privilege or sacrifice that can be made, that radical is anything but normal. When do we shift into this place from radical pursuit of Jesus where now what was should be normal and following him and believing in him and setting ourselves apart and seeing amazing things why has that become not the normal when God always created that to be the normal why is it that we think that he died on the cross to keep us safe when actually he died on the cross to make us dangerous to make us the children of God that he intended us to be, to have dominion and to take back the world from the sin and from the demonic forces that would influence it. When, when do we think it was our job to just wave to the neighbours but not save our neighbours? What's happened that we've lost sight of what God really created us to do, which was to set ourselves apart from him, and if that means death, it means death, and if it means life, it means life. But I know if I'm in him, he'll do amazing things so that at the end of your life and the end of my life, our community could say, Before CFC came, there was no light, but when CFC had finished, there was no darkness. You see, faithfulness is not holding the fort in the kingdom not holding the church together, keeping it nice and comfortable. No, faithfulness in the kingdom is storming the gates of hell. 
because I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which means that we are meant to push against the gates of hell, that we are meant to storm the gates of hell, that we're not meant to sit back and play it safe, but we need to become dangerous, dangerous people filled with the Holy Ghost that aren't afraid to get up after we've denied Jesus like Peter on the day of Pentecost and preach and say, we're not drunk as you suppose, but we know Jesus and 3,000 people came to Christ that day and many more were added. Why? Because they set themselves apart. They devoted themselves to Jesus. Complete surrender. God's plan is not an insurance plan, friend. It's a daring plan for you and I to see our community and our world turned upside down just like it did for the 12 that went out. A complete surrender and consecration of your life the cause to the cause of Christ isn't radical, it's normal. It's what we're called to do. If you will consecrate yourself, I will do amazing things. I will do it. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in. It's, it's time to go all out. And, and if there's one thing that's gone over and over in my head, and I, I reckon it should become a statement for us for the rest of our lives when it comes to CFC. I've just said this all this week and I felt like God's been speaking to me so strongly. And I'm just saying to God, I've packed my coffin. I've packed my coffin. I'm deciding from this down it's a one-way ticket and I've packed my coffin. I'm not coming back until I see that when you came, there was no light, but when you left, there was no darkness. I've packed my coffin. I'm not, I'm not going back anymore. I'm not, I'm not asking Jesus to follow me anymore. I'm going to follow him now. I'm going to give my all. I'm going to sip. I'm going to, I'm going to consecrate because I want to see amazing. I'm going to consecrate myself because I want to see more than four or five. We've seen people come to Christ every week in our church, but I don't want four or five. I want to see hundreds coming to Christ. I don't want to see 35 people water baptized in a year. I want to see 350 people water baptized in a year. I don't want to see one marriage restored. I want to see all marriages restored. I don't want to see one person cured of cancer. I want to see everybody healed of cancer. I don't know about you, but I've decided I'm going to pack my coffin today and I'm on a one-way street for Jesus and if you're part of this church and friend if you're not going to pack your coffin and get on the one-way street you're more than welcome to attend but please don't come to me upset when you start to feel uncomfortable about where we're going because where we're going there's no return there's no back out there's no plan b it's just plan a and I and determined with all of my heart that we're not going to cheapen what Jesus has done, but we're going to be fully sold out, set apart, because I want to see the amazing things. And I've packed my coffin. Why don't you stand to your feet today? And I don't want to emotionally manipulate anybody. Why don't you just close your eyes just for a moment? Close your eyes for a moment. I want to ask you a question. Who's following who? Who's 